Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. All right, Romans chapter eight is where we are. Man, I don't know if y'all remember this, but we have, we, we started on a journey going through the book of Romans last year in January. And we said it's 16 chapters, and so what we'll do is we'll get to the middle of the book and we'll take a break. We took seven months off of the book of Romans. Did No one preached from Romans at all in the last seven months intentionally, and so we did some standalone stuff. But now we're back in the book of Romans. I don't know if y'all see the letters are back up. That means it's official that we are back in Romans. And, you know, chapter one through seven went uh, really long. I I think we went from January to, to July, and we just did nothing but Romans, and then we took that break, and now we're in 8 through 16, and I promise you that it'll go a lot quicker, uh, but there is a lot of stuff in this book that I want you just to pay attention to, even today, just, just kind of dial into what Paul is saying to the church through the book of Romans, and after we finish the book, which we'll finish pretty quickly, when we're done, we're getting into the book of Esther. I need a queen in the room to just say Amen. So we're going to get in the book of Esther and, and see what God is saying to us there. All right, let's dig in today. Y'all good? Yeah. I know it's tight. Forgive us. We're going to get a space soon. Yeah. All right, Romans 8, verse 1. I love how this opens. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his son, his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. Verse 6, 4, to set the mind on the flesh is death. Somebody say death. But to set the mind on the spirit, watch these two things, is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile, hostile against God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh. But in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. This is a familiar verse. Verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in us. Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to, he's almost like repeating the same thing. Pay pay attention to that. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the spirit, put, uh, but if by the spirit you put death and the deeds of the body, you will live for who? For who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, not servants, sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears 
witness with our spirit. We are children of God, and if we are children, then heirs and heirs of God, then fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, this is the reading of the word of the Lord. Uh, won't y'all help me announce the topic today? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, he ain't never lie. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Father, I thank you for your word. Numbers 23, 19 is clear that you are not a man that you should lie, not, neither a man that you should repent. And so we thank you for your commitment to truth. And we thank you for your commitment to promise keeping. So Father, I pray, oh God, as we look at the truth of your word today and we look at the promises that are made in this chapter, oh God, may we hold tightly to what you are saying today. I, I don't pray for a word that takes us from Monday to Sunday. I pray for a word today that will take us from today to glory until we get with you. A word that will transform our lives, transform our thinking, transform our relationships, transform how we walk. I pray for that type of word today. And I thank you that one deposit of your word can transform everything. And so today, may today be that day for your glory and for your honor. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let somebody say amen. Man, he ain't never lie. I'll never forget it. it was December 31st, 1999. I was a teenager and uh, it, it was New Year's Eve. And so I made my way to church. I know y'all trifling, so y'all didn't, but I did. I made my <laughs> way to church that night and, and I, I went to church for New Year's Eve service. The churchy folk would call it uh, y'all up in here, watch night service. So I made my way to the church for watch night service. And when I got there, I saw something that I never saw before. It was the church that I always attended and I was a member of. But when I got there this night, the musicians didn't plug any of the instruments into the outlets. They, they did an acoustic set where uh, they, they had the drums going. They had no drum pads, just the drums. They, there was electric, uh, no electric guitar, but acoustic guitar. Even the dude that plays the B3 organ. Now, you know you in church. You got a B3 organ, and even that dude brought with him a battery-operated keyboard. And I was a little confused on why they did this, and so afterwards I asked the MD, I said, what, what was the, the point of the acoustic set, and why didn't y'all plug anything in the outlets? They said the leadership of the church told them that they were a little afraid of Y2K, and they didn't want everything to shut down. Likewise, earlier that week, you know, when I was looking at news reports, it was interesting that they were talking about how the banks would shut down, and... There would be a coding problem in the, in, in the system and the financial district would be all in chaos and the lights would all shut off. And, uh, and so I made my way to church and around 11.54 p.m., I was like, this is the moment. Now, low key, I was a little excited to see what would happen. <laughs> but I was like, this is it. This is the moment where everything will shut off. But 12 o'clock struck and not even a light flickered. Nothing happened. The financial district was fine. They were not in chaos. There, there was nothing that happened. My friends went and, 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 and stocked up on spam. If spam is my last resort, go ahead and let your boy die. Just, it's pink, it's slimy, and it's salty. I don't, I don't mess with spam. But nothing happened. And that's the moment I realized I hate when things are over-promised and under-delivered. Whether it's Y2K or restaurants that you recommended or movies that you hyped up that you said was so good or Netflix series. Let me put my card on the table. I, I, I just genuinely believe this, that this is us is a little overrated. That's just me. I ain't scared of y'all. I don't care. I don't care. 
I said it with my chest. What? I'll go so far as to say it's a little whack. I'm just... All right, whatever. Whatever. So, so the reason I feel like that, I, I feel... Based on your response, I, I got to give you a little disclaimer. Here's why I feel like that. I got enough emotional trauma in my life. I don't need to sit before a TV and cry. I just, I, I just don't. I'm sorry. We, we had a Super Bowl party here. Uh, maybe last year? I think it was last year. And so afterwards, uh, This Is Us came on, and we all sat and watched This Is Us. The lights were all off, and they turned the lights on, and everybody in the room was crying. I said, y'all need therapy. Like, this is ridiculous. And so I hate when stuff is promised and it's hyped up and then when it comes time, it doesn't deliver. And people can promise a lot of stuff. And people are often, when they promise or hype something up, are, uh, most of the time it's not what it is made out to be, but not so with God. Whenever God makes a promise, you can take that thing to the bank. Because God does not promise something and under deliver. Whatever God promises, it is going to happen. When he wanted light, it happened. When he wanted the, the land to divide the water, it happened. When, when he wanted man to be created, it happened. He wanted animals, it happened. When he wanted a savior and he promised a Messiah that would come, it happened. And whenever God said, you can't find a place where God lied. You can't find a place where God made a promise and it did not come to pass. And if the reputation of God is that he is a promise keeper, can we agree the promises made in Romans 8 are true? That there are some things that Paul says about God in Romans chapter 8 that you and I should be able to take to the bank. And if we take it to the bank, you should walk with a little bit more Holy Ghost swag. Because what he promised in Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 17 is true. Make note of this. There are three promises that I want to spend time, a short amount of time together walking through. Three promises. The first one, we don't get far, is found in verse 1. Not, not just in verse 1, in the first part of verse 1. It says, there is therefore, please tell me y'all have this in your Bibles, no condemnation. That is the first promise that Paul gives us. And I love that Paul starts Romans 8 telling us this promise that you are not condemned if you have trusted in Jesus. Why do I love that? Because now we've been out of Romans for a while, so, so y'all may not remember this, but your boy Paul's been beating us up. I mean, you didn't get out of chapter 1. Without him hammering away at us. Y'all remember that in chapter one? Okay, some of y'all don't remember, so I, I got to go back. In Romans chapter one, I'm not going to preach it again, but he, he was hammering away at our sin. He would say stuff like uh, in verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations with those on the contrary uh, to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations. So he said, listen, same sex attraction, homosexuality. He pointed that as a sin and some of y'all rejoiced, but he said, wait, 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 wait. But some of y'all are gossipers. So some of y'all are slanderers. Some of y'all are full of malice. Some of y'all, this is the, the word of God right here, are haters of God. Some of y'all are foolish and faithless and heartless and ruthless. And we got out of chapter one. He was like, oh, man, that was a lot. We spent a few weeks there. And he beat us up and we got in chapter two, but he didn't give us reprieve. He beat us up some more. He, he says, not only are y'all are sinners, but y'all are hypocrites. Y'all remember that? He was saying some of y'all talk about how uh, not to steal, but you yourselves steal. Some of y'all talk about those who commit adultery, but you yourselves commit adultery. And then fast forward to chapter seven. Paul once again lays it on a stick when it comes to our sin. He, he ends the chapter by saying, oh, wretched man that I am. 
He beats us up over and over and over again in chapter one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. But all we get to chapter eight, and he says, wait, wait, I, I know you're a sinner. Therefore, there is no condemnation if you've trusted in Jesus. Do you realize that you, if you believe in Jesus, have no condemnation? So you should be rejoicing because you can actually be condemned for much. But it doesn't matter the decisions you've made, no condemnation. Doesn't matter the life you live before Christ and some of you, even while in Christ, you're making mistakes, no condemnation. It, it doesn't matter the wrong turns you've taken and, and the decisions that you made, there is no condemnation. This is a place to rejoice. Chapter 8 is a praise break. Because chapter one, he beat you up. Chapter two, he beat you up. And he gets to chapter eight and he's like, no, 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 wait a second. I know I'm beating y'all up, but there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know what condemnation is? Con condemnation holds this idea that you are standing before a judge. And that judge bangs the gavel and finds you guilty. In the Christian faith, we would say you are guilty and therefore your punishment is separation from God. Now, don't miss this. The worst part of the wrath of God is not the gnashing of teeth. The worst part of the wrath of God is not the unquenchable fire. Yes, that's bad, but the worst part is that you'll spend eternity apart from God. And that is, that, that is what you would call condemnation. But in Christ, there is no condemnation. You actually spend eternity with God, even though you don't deserve it, no condemnation. This is the first promise that he makes that we are not condemned. Can I be honest with you? And this might be a little offensive for some of you that don't know the Lord. Here's the reality. If it is true that there is no condemnation while we are in Christ, can we agree that those that are not in Christ are still under condemnation? Ah, uh -uh, pastor, don't even go there. That is very inclusive. You are narrow minded. You need to be more inclusive and invite more people. And make, but at the end of the day, I love you enough to tell you outside of Jesus Christ's condemnation. Now, there's a difference between condemnation and consequences. The text doesn't read there is no consequences in Christ. Sin has consequences to it. And oftentimes, some of you came in right now and you, you feel like your consequences is actually condemnation. There's a difference. Yes, sin has consequences, but you are still not condemned in your sin. Here's the beauty of the gospel that Jesus Christ was condemned in your place. So therefore, you are not condemned. You get freedom in Christ. You, you get joy in Christ. You get pardoning of sin in Christ, you get liberty in Christ. The captive has been set free in Christ. You have been delivered in Christ. You have no condemnation in Christ. Can somebody just lift up a praise right there? If you know you deserve condemnation but got liberty, the guilty walk free. We walk free. And, you, you know, one of the things that happens when it comes to condemnation, we look at God and we can... This is not healthy, but we can look at God and say, ah, you just forgave my sin and didn't condemn anybody. But that is not true. Second Corinthians five, verse 21 says, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God didn't take your sin and sweep it under the rug. He, he didn't take your sin and say, oh, I'm, I'm just not going to do anything with it. Therefore, he wouldn't be holy. He does not do that. He looks at your sin, looks at Jesus, puts it on Jesus and condemns him. Therefore, you'll never be condemned for what Jesus was already condemned for. This is the, the glorious gospel. 
the good news of the message of Christ that God doesn't, he does not dibble and dabble in double jeopardy. Do you know what double jeopardy is? Have you ever seen the movie Double Jeopardy? Man, I love that movie, Ashley Judd, a.k.a. Libby Parsons. And, you know, the story goes on that she's on a boat and she's blamed for killing her husband. And, uh, and so she stands before the judge and they find her guilty. And she has to go and pay the penalty for being guilty. So they sentence her and she does her time, her hard time in jail. And she finally gets out and she finds out that her husband is alive and he's eating crawfish and red beans and rice in New Orleans. And so she goes down to New Orleans and literally shoots him in the middle of Mardi Gras and walks away. Now, I know you're like, well, how could she walk away after she killed him? Why? Because she already paid the penalty for it. And in a deeper, in a higher way, this is what you get in Jesus Christ. You don't pay for the sin that Jesus already paid for. If God does that, he is guilty of double jeopardy, but he looks at Jesus, condemns him, and then you get to walk free. I I love the gospel because in the gospel, God takes a perfect man and makes him a sinner and takes sinners and makes them perfect. They side-eye me, so I'm going to say it to this side of the room. God takes a perfect man and makes him a sinner. And then takes sinners and makes them perfect people. This is the good news of the gospel. And so he starts out in Romans chapter 8 and says it this way. There is no condemnation. You're not condemned. You should rejoice. You're not condemned. Despite the sin in chapter 1, you're not condemned. Despite the gossiping and the lying and the backstabbing and the haters of God and the homosexuality and the sin within heterosexuality, you are not Condemned, we should rejoice. And so the first promise, the first promise that is made is that there is no condemnation. Don't miss that it says for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2 says pretty much the same thing. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. Here it is again, in Christ Jesus. That is the key to no condemnation, being in Christ. But then he goes on, he gives us another promise. Do me a favor, just, just rock with your boy for a second. Pick this theme up. That he keeps saying over and over again. Verse 3 says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. For, uh, it says, He condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the what? Come on, y'all got to say it like y'all mean it. To the what? Okay, watch this. For those who live according to the flesh uh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the... Set their mind on the things of the... Are y'all picking up this theme? For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the... Is life and peace. Over and over again, he keeps talking about this idea of the spirit. Now, what is interesting is... Well, you know, earlier this week, before I started writing the sermon today, I just did a, a couple of good reads through Romans 1 all the way to Romans 8. And just started back over Romans 1 and just in one sitting read all the way to Romans 8. And you know what I noticed this week? That Paul only talked up until this point about the spirit of God one time. In chapter 5 is the only time that he talks about the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he says, Hope does not put us ashamed because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. Here it is, through the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. 
So he's only talked about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost one time, but he gets to chapter eight and he doesn't talk about it one time. But if you read all of chapter eight, 22 times, he talks about the spirit. That is what you would call. And I've tried to teach all this before. This is what you call a melodic line. Paul is not like he's not at a loss of words. And so he keeps repeating the same idea. He's trying to get a point across that you your your second promise here is that you get the spirit of God living in you if you've trusted in Jesus. Do you know Ephesians chapter one says the moment you believe you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. The moment you believe don't miss this. You got God living in you. Can you believe that? That God wants to, my body is a temple for God to live. And if God lives in you, can we agree that there has to be a difference in your walk? You can't trust Jesus, the Holy Spirit, enter. Because what we do is we treat the Holy Spirit like the stepchild of the Trinity. Like the Holy Spirit ain't God. Like, Like he's partially God. God the Father is fully God. Jesus Christ, fully God. The Holy Spirit living in you, if you've trusted in Jesus, fully God. Therefore, We should walk a little differently, which is why uh, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 12, verse 13 all talk about not walking according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There has to be tangible change in your walk if you've trusted in Jesus. No one that says, I trusted in Jesus, but you walk away and your value system doesn't change. Your behavior doesn't change. Sin doesn't start to get uh, overcome in your life. None of that changes. We would say you're a liar. And we would be right because the spirit of God living inside of you ought to bring about change. I read a book a few years ago and I went in my my basement and dusted it off. It's called The Forgotten God. It's by a guy by the name of Francis Chan. And in The Forgotten God, he says these words. Take a listen to what he says. This is what Francis Chan says. He says, if it's true that the spirit of God dwells in us and that our bodies are the Holy Spirit's temple, then shouldn't there be a huge difference in the person that has the spirit of God living inside of him or her and the person that does not? This may be a silly illustration, but if I told you that I had an encounter with God and that he entered my body and gave me supernatural abilities to play basketball, you would expect to see me uh, an amazing improvement in my jump shot, my defense and the speed on the court. After all, this is God we're talking about. He goes on to say, and if you saw no change in my athleticism, wouldn't you question the validity of my encounter? He says churchgoers all across the nation say that the Holy Spirit has entered into them. They claim that God has given them supernatural ability to follow Christ, to put sin to death and to serve the church. Christians talk about being born again and they say that we were dead and have become alive and we've become so hardened to those words. But they are powerful words. They have significant meaning. Yet when those outside of the church see no difference in our lives, they begin to question our integrity, our sanity and even worse, our God. And then he ends and says, and can you blame them? When you say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but there is no difference in your walk and there is no difference in your talk. People think you are plumb crazy and they doubt that you really have an encounter with God. Because if I read Paul right in Romans chapter eight, he says the spirit of God lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit changes how we walk and it changes how we talk. And so you are now able to overcome addiction because the spirit of God lives in you. I'm now able to live at peace with my wife because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. 
I'm now able to overcome that sin. I don't have to text you back and tell you to come over. I'm now delivered from you because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. There are some things that the Holy Spirit shows you that when you look back before you had the Spirit, you're like, uh, I dealt with that. Anybody ever been there? You ever looked on Facebook and be like, eh, that relationship? The Spirit of God changes how you think and changes how you spend money and changes how you deal with relationships and changes how you deal with co-workers. The Holy Spirit stops you from cussing people out that you would have cussed them out before you met Jesus. The Spirit of God has to get up in your life. And so Paul says over and over again that the Spirit of, that's the promise Yes, the first promise is you're not condemned. The second promise is that God lives in you. And, you know, Jesus had a, had a moment with his boys in John chapter 16. And it blew me away. I wrestled this week a little bit with this. Because he says, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not go, the spirit of God will not come. Like, in my mind, I wrestled because I'm like, what's better than Jesus walking the earth? Can you imagine like Jesus giving you instructions on which job to take and Jesus tell can you imagine Jesus preaching today? Like that's what I would want, but Jesus is like, nah, you know what's better than me preaching today? The Spirit of God living in you. It's better that I go because you got God inside of you. I don't care what it seems like, what it feels like. If you've trusted in Jesus, you got the Spirit living in you. So 22 times he says over and over again, over and over again. Spirit of God. In other words, he's screaming to us that the, that, that the Holy Spirit has to be the driving force to your principles. Has to be the driving force to your, don't ignore when God is speaking to you. And I, I, and we in this, you know, this progressive age and I, I just want to come to church with my coffee. Now you better listen to the Spirit of God. When he tell you not to do it, you better not disobey him. My pastor will say it this way. It's better to follow God's no than, than, than actually do what God told you not to do and find out why he told you no. That's the worst right there. Anybody ever been there? Well, God told you, no, you did it anyway. He was like, go ahead. <laughs> the spirit of God, had you have to pay attention to what God is saying. So here's the first two promises. There is therefore no condemnation. Second promise. Spirit of God lives in every single believer. You don't have to go to a tarry ser- tarrying service to wait for the spirit. The moment you believe, you got it. Because you know that the spirit of God does more than help you speak in tongues. We've reduced the spirit to just tongues? No, no, no. Some of you need to stop speaking in tongues and, and, and deal with your neighbor, right? Because the spirit of God lives in you. So he says here, the spirit of God lives in us, the Holy Spirit. The third and final, at least the final promise that I'm going to deal with today is in verse 11. Please look at it with me. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it says, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. The final promise that he makes here is that death is not the final chapter to your life if you trusted in Jesus. That we get to transition. See, the spirit helps you to walk right here on earth, but the spirit also takes you when you die and puts you into heaven if you trusted in Jesus. I know it sounds morbid, but you know you're closer to death now than you were when you walked in. I don't care how much, how non-GMO, I'm all natural, you're going to die, bruh. It's just that simple. At some point, death comes for all. If Jesus does not come back, 
Death is going to come for all of us. There's not a person that has died and is still living, but everyone will die at some point. And, you know, this week, I think we got met with that. We look at culture, you know, we're getting a lot of questions on what happens after life. I think after death, I think Kobe's death has made a lot of people reflect. In fact, I was listening to um, a Sean King's uh, podcast. I don't know if y'all listen to that, but it's a dope podcast. Uh, and he was, it's called The Breakdown. And he was talking about morality and death. He was saying, well, this, in the moments where celebrities or people around us die, it is that moment where you start to face your own mortality. You realize that you ain't living forever. And here's the thing. Some of us think that death will not come for us. Trust me, I don't care how healthy you think you are. Kobe was healthy. Kobe had money. Financial security did not stop death. And so many times when it comes to death, we think that we are invincible, but you are not invincible. What I love about the promise is even though I die, I really don't die. I just transition. That is the promise that each and every one of us got, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead raises you, gives life to your mortal body. And I love Paul because he gives a connection between the empty tomb and your resurrection. In other words, what he's saying is, don't miss this. He's saying that the empty tomb validates verse 11. I've been there. I've been to the tomb. It is empty. Nobody is in the tomb. No corpse is there. You can't find Jesus. And so therefore, the promise that Jesus would be raised is made for you. That if you've trusted in Jesus, you get to be raised to new life. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and after he died a perfect death, he was raised to new life. And because he was raised, I know I got a shot to be with God forever. Our staff is reading this book. And in the book, it talks about how whenever you give truth, it is important to give a follow-up of what you do with the truth. So here, here's what you do with what was talked about today. As we talk about there's no condemnation if you've trusted in Jesus as we talk about the spirit of God living in you and the spirit's ability to raise you from the dead, here's what you do with that. It should, it should change how you walk now. It should change how you interact with people. Those of you who walked in here and you feel ashamed of your sin, there's no condemnation. Why am I ashamed when there's no condemnation? Some of you are dealing with anxiety of the world. I ain't got to deal with anxiety of the world because my little temporary life here is going to end with me in glory. Do you know that the Bible says in Revelation 21 that there will be no sun in heaven because Jesus will give off the light? You know how deep that is? You know how dope that is? I mean, I, mean, I love the fact that when I get to heaven that there will be uh, no more crying, no more weeping, no tsunamis, no helicopters falling, no morgues. Bro, your beard going to grow all the way in. I don't know why I felt that. Just, just popped in my mind. You ain't got to use products. That piece that connects here and here is actually going to connect fully. <laughs> Ladies, you ain't got no shrinkage. I need somebody to say amen right there. You'll be a new creation. There's no sadness in heaven. There's no anxiety. You won't need therapy in heaven. We need it now, but you won't need therapy in heaven. You won't need counseling in heaven. I'll go deeper. You won't need to evangelize in heaven because we all going to be believers worshiping the king of kings and the lord of lords the one that conquered sin and death on my behalf i'll get to worship him forever here's what i love about paul's words 
He's saying, I'm making some promises from God. And all of these promises is true because he ain't never lied. Father, I thank you for everybody in this room. Father, I thank you for your promises. I really do. I felt the need today, oh God, not to just expose the promises, but convince the room that they're true. And the greatest confidence that we have and convincing that we have is your reputation. Because you have a reputation of being a God who makes promises and keeps them. This is not Y2K. This is not that. Like You, you make promises and you, we can take them all the way to the bank and we thank you, oh God. So I pray that the promises that you give us will impact how we do life. That we know because we have the Holy Ghost living in us that we actually can break that addiction. We can love our wives better. We can love our husbands better. We can walk in freedom. We can walk in liberty. God, I thank you for the rejoicing that we get in Romans 8. You beat us up. But we'll take the beat up because we know that in Romans 8, there is no, no condemnation. And so, Father, I pray for this room. Let me pastor here. Lord, I pray for each and every person here. The person that's dealing with shame. The person who feels like they're dealing with rejection. They left a lot of chaos at home today to come here. Father, I pray for them that you would give them confidence where does the confidence come from that we're not condemned where does the confidence come from that the Holy Ghost lives in us where does the confidence come from that you're going to raise us to new life so Father I also pray for the one that doesn't know you we are grateful that they are here no condemnation is available to them today it's so easy we ain't got to earn it we ain't got to work for it we trust in the one who did earn it. Trust in the one that did work for it. That is the person of Jesus Christ. So we lift this time to you, oh God. Would you be glorified with our lives? It's in Christ's name we pray.